Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Can you imagine that we're in the final quarter of 2021? And... Uh, in just a blink of an eye, one year is about to pass and I can smell Christmas in the air. Amen. Uh, Christmas hasn't been the same in the last two years. Uh, all the parties and all that are all scaled down. But regardless of, of that, I, I think Christmas is a very special season. And, and Christmas reminds all of us the reason uh, for our season. And that is, of course, Jesus Christ. And this morning... I'm so excited to share this word. Um, I, w- I want to give a preface, right? First of all, uh, this message is work in progress. It really represents my desire, my heart, my passion uh, has been simmering within me for as long as I become a Christian. You know, my, my outlook towards the faith, my outlook towards evangelism, what it means to be on a mission. So very personal, uh, People may or may not agree with me. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just me on a journey. And knowing that the church is uh, going into a series you know, on being missional, uh, I pray that this word would somehow you know, also encourage all of us to live life with a sense of mission. Amen. So um, I entitled my talk this morning or my message this morning, be in the world but not of the world. Be in the world but not of the world. I I think for the longest time, Christians uh, do well uh, for not being of the world. And uh, especially after months and years of walking with Jesus, a lot lot of us no longer have non-Christian friends. A lot of us are no longer involved uh, in the affairs of the world uh, because our life revolves around our faith. Faith becomes a part of uh, who we are, what we do. I want to remind all of us that uh, it is Jesus' mandate for us to be in the world but not of the world. Now, the Christian faith is centered on the belief that Jesus Christ became uh, a human being. God became man and dwelt among us. I think Christmas is a good reminder of Emmanuel, God with us. And this is commonly known as the doctrine of incarnation. The doctrine of incarnation. It means that in Jesus, God became embodied. I think that word is very important to us as a church. We want to be an embodied community, which is why we believe in gathering together on a Sunday and then scattering on a Monday. We believe in coming together. God became embodied and God left what I always say, the first world heaven and was born into a third world earth. In Jesus' case, He was born in Bethlehem. He took on our humanity that we might share in the blessed life that He has. Um, And He took on our sin so we we might share in His righteousness. He entered into Satan's domain so that uh, we can be free and be transformed into His likeness, and we can come under His sovereign and loving reign. Jesus, my friends, is God's loving embodiment in the world. And as the embodiment of God, Jesus perfectly manifested what God is like. 
He is the perfect representation of who God is, how He speaks, uh, how He feels. And this is why in the New Testament, the New Testament authors often refer to Jesus as the Word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the image of God, uh, which is what Janice read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the perfect expression of God uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And that's why Jesus could say that if anyone has seen me, he has seen the Father. So that is the embodiment, the, in, the incarnated uh, God in Christ. But interestingly, the church is called the body of Christ. The earliest Christians understood that the incarnation wasn't just about God, what God did once upon a time in Jesus. Because Jesus reveals who God really is, the incarnation tells us something that, that, about what God is always doing. Somebody say, Amen. It's also about the incarnation of God today. Now, we, we, we must agree that there's only one incarnate Son of God. Jesus Christ, the only one incarnated Son of God. God always embodying Himself in the world. He does it today through you and I, through His church. He does it primarily by identifying with those who submit our lives to Jesus. And that's why Christ's followers today collectively is called the body of Christ. We are in a very real sense an extension of Jesus' earthly body. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are, we are His mouth in the world. And that's why I love our passion statement. I, th I think what uh, Pastor Andre has done is, uh, you know, he has crafted, I think, a beautiful passion that we all share together. So, you know, I, we often wondered whether you remember what our passion is. And so let's encourage uh, our pastoral team before I go on in this message, take 10 seconds. If you are watching on YouTube or on Facebook, will you type out our passion statement? Right. We have been repeating it, if you have noticed, in the last month, every single time whoever is chairing the service. I believe that's intentional. I don't think that they, uh, they all came up and they said, what's our passion? We really want to drive this home. If we call the city our home, we must share in a common passion. And our common passion cannot be squid game. Our common passion has to be <laughs> about... We exist, come on, to help all people be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus in our city. So, in essence, what our mission is, I, I, if I can summarize it further, our mission as a church is to be Jesus in our city, to be Jesus where we are. Now, we are not the incarnate Son of God, but we can be His body, we can be His his hands, we can be His feet, we can be His mouth. And we read that uh, in both the Gospels and also the book of Acts. And Luke wrote two volumes. We all know that Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and, and, and also he wrote, the, uh, he wrote the book of Acts. All right? And the Gospels really talked about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And in Acts chapter 1, Luke calls that his former book of what Jesus began to do and teach. See, the gospel was what uh, God did through Jesus' incarnate body. Similarly, the book of Acts is what God continues to do through Jesus' corporate body. You and me, we are the body of Christ. We are an extension of Jesus in our workplace, in our schools, in our communities, wherever God has placed us. And see, friends, as followers of Jesus, 
we are called to imitate God in all things. And I believe that includes His incarnational love in the way so we fully enter into the life of other people. We call this living incarnationally. And that has been my passion almost from the beginning of my Christian faith. We want to live incarnationally. And I don't believe in having a divide between the sacred and the secular because the sacred is supposed to influence the secular. There's no Sunday church, Monday church. We are the church that gathers on Sunday and we scatter on Monday. There is no distinction. There's no duality. As far as our faith is concerned, we are supposed to enter fully into the life of other people. And Jesus reveals that God is a God who is willing to set aside the blessedness of His own domain heaven and become fully present with a lost and dying world. So likewise, my friends, and as a church, we are called to be a people who are willing to set aside the comforts and the conveniences of our lives and be fully present with people. As I said, this is a vision. This is a passion. This is my pursuit. This is what I really want to grow into. Is it easy? No. Because all of us are creatures of comfort. All of us you know, want to be in a safe environment. No one likes to step out of the boat and to walk on water. We want to be safe. We want to self-preserve. We want our faith to be secured. But that is not the complete gospel. The gospel inspires us. The gospels, I would say, trust us forth to become witnesses in the world. This is part of what it means to be an imitator of God, like what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2, that we are called to be imitators of God, to live in love as Christ loved us and gave His life for us. And so to live incarnationally, God Himself is continually being embodied in the world through us. Amen? So I believe the, the incarnation is God's ultimate missional participation in creation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And, and that's why I love Eugene Peterson's translation of John chapter 1, verse 14. I love it. Because the word used there, and, and, and He dwelt among us, the Greek word, you know, is, it, it means to set up a tent. And how Eugene Peterson translated that verse is lovely. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And moved into the neighborhood. God in Christ moved into our neighborhood. So the incarnation not only qualifies God's act in the world, I believe the incarnation should also define how we do mission in the world. Amen. If God's central, central way of reaching His world was to incarnate Himself in Christ, then perhaps, can I suggest to all of us here that our way of reaching the world should also be incarnational. Now, it's very important for us, again, to make a distinction that the incarnation of Jesus was a special, unrepeatable event. Because if you Google incarnational living, you know, there are two schools of thought, you know, how can we uh, take the incarnation so lightly? Friends, the incarnation is special. Christmas, you know, uh, and, how, uh, and how we are saved, it's all because of the incarnation. So let's not take it lightly. 
So let's distinguish it by, you know, maybe a capital I for Christ's incarnation and a small I for our incarnational living. But we are supposed to be incarnational in the way we interact with the world. And, and for the rest of this message, I'll love to expound, to expand, and perhaps to suggest to us with some conceptual framework. So, you know, there are two parts to my message. One is my heart. As you can see, I'm very passionate about being as close to lost people as possible. But also, the question of how we do it is, of course, debatable. Amen. But there's nothing wrong with us inviting all believers to model our lives like Jesus. Like Jesus. Because His life is supposed to be our example. And the process of incarnation, we love theology in this church. Uh, is the process of kenosis, right? It's found in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and all the way to uh, verse 8 and 9, I believe. And, you know, it is how Jesus emptied himself. The word kenosis means the self-emptying of God. And, and that's, I believe, God has called us to imitate Christ in that. We're supposed to empty ourselves. And it's always the strong, the powerful, the rich that has the privilege, I would say, to empty, to pour out himself, you know, for the least, the lost, and for the dying. And so let's read this passage, you know, from Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read just three, four verses, and it says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, or who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This passage is called the kenosis, this, the, the self-emptying of Jesus. And you know, I was just reading a missiology Microfrost, and he basically uh, gave us two themes from this passage, and, and he, and he uh, said that you know this that in this passage there are two concepts that, that that we must grasp, and I love it because first of all it's the concept of proximity, and secondly it's the concept of presence, and this is how he defined uh, the two. In incarnational mission, he says it must involve living in close proximity with others. Why? Because friends, you and I know that we cannot love and serve those God has sent us to from a distance. We can't. We must remember God is a missionary God. As I was just preparing for this message, I came across uh, an a old sermon you know, by, uh, by a pastor who has passed on. His name is John Stott. And John Stott was preaching to a group of students and I believe he was the one who first coined uh, this phrase, a living God is also a missionary God. And from that point, the missionary God you know, took on a life of its own and has, been, and has defined the missions movement from the 70s all the way to maybe the early 2000s. And that's when the mega church movements took off and then the missionary movement took a back seat. But we must remember God is a missionary God. And the church is supposed to be a missionary church, whether it's cross-cultural missions, whether it's cross-borders mission or cross-the-road mission, whatever, we are supposed to be a people on a mission. And this passage, the, you know, the kenosis, really is God sending Jesus on a mission and how Jesus moved from a first world heaven to reach us in a third world earth. And so incarnation mission, the proximity with others, we can't love and serve those God has sent us to from a distance. But presence takes this to 
another level. Presence implies identification. I mean, presence moves beyond just mere proximity to identification and surrender. Jesus identified with and advocated for those whom he was called to. And that is the harder part. It's easy for us to grow to go cross-cultural, to live amongst them, you know, and, and yet we've all done missions and you know, we go to the slums uh, from 8 to 5 and then we go back to our hotel you know, from, uh, from 5 p.m. You know, all the way to the evening. Next day we go. Now, that's great. We are close to people. That's close to God's heart. But, we, but our presence is limited. Versus, you know, Joy was just sharing with me the story of Craig Greenfield who's in Cambodia and he moved into the neighborhood. Heidi Baker... You know, who sat on the street corner in Mozambique learning uh, Mozambican from street children move into the neighborhood. And we are inspired by people who are incarnational. But it takes a lot for us. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy. But I believe that's God's method. I believe that's God's method, and I'll explain that uh, as we go along. <laughs> we must realize that this incarnation approach calls us to relational identification with our neighbors that will lead to tangible acts of love and sacrifice. So what does it all mean? Let's make this real, right? Let's read John chapter 17, verse, verses 14 to 19, and that's where I got the title of my message. It says, this is, this is Jesus' earthly prayer, uh, priestly prayer. And he said, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And that's true. We are not of this world. We, uh, we have a different value system from the systems of this world. Just as I'm not of the world. And verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Interesting. Because, you know, if holiness means that we are not in the world, then, you know, he might as well save us and then kill us. All right, but in his praise, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Therefore, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Loaded. So all I, all I want to bring out is we're not, we are not of this world, but we are in the world. We are in the world the world and and what does it look like for a church to be in the world and again you know uh, in my thinking and just and i i love conceptual frameworks this is how my mind is wired and so i came, i came across this urban ministry expert his name is robert linticum and he proposes that there are three kinds of churches and so i thought it's very interesting let's 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 uh let's examine right which kind of church are we all right he he calls the first kind of church, church in the city. Now, uh, I think a better phrase is church within the city, all right? Because we are in the city, but a church within, uh, or the church in the city. And a church in the city basically refers to only location because the church members are not from the community. The church has little or no involvement in the community. They are just within it. So if you think about salt shaker, right? Just imagine, and I, I almost wanted to ask someone to bake it, but of course... It's hard, all right? Imagine a loaf of banana bread, and within it is the salt shaker, and within the salt shaker are the salt. That's what, what it, it means. The salt shaker, the church, is in the banana bread, but the salt still remains in the salt shaker. Can you see the, pic, the picture? 
And that's what it means to be a church within the city. We are completely separated. And there are a lot of reasons for churches to do that. You know, it is always us against them. Yes, it's the, you know, and, and oftentimes we come across judgmental. But as I was studying, you know, for this message, I realized that it is interesting. I noted that Jesus very rarely, if ever, judged sinners. Rarely. In fact, he was friends with sinners. He ate with them. He sat down with them. And his rebuke is always with the Pharisees, always with religious people. But a lot of us today, us are against them. I can't believe the world is doing that. I can't believe the world is thinking, what else do they know? The God of this age has blinded them. And I was just having a conversation with a few friends recently. And you know, my mom, after she became a Christian, came to me and said, how come you didn't tell me about the gospel earlier? So I said, mommy, I've been trying since I was 15 to tell you about Jesus. And you didn't want to listen. You, she said, no. And that was case in point. The God of this age has blinded their eyes. Not their fault. It, there's a, there's, there is a power encounter. And the world doesn't know any better. But because of our judgment, us against them, church within the city, completely distant. The second model is what he calls church to the city. And, and what this looks like is the church has a keen sense of responsibility to do something for the community. All right, the faith of flaws with this is the perception that the church knows better. The church knows what is best for the community. The church decides unilaterally what the community needs and invites the community to participate. A good example, and we've heard this as we do our, our work within the community, right? That, you know, we, we buy them rice, we buy them Milo, we buy them a lot of stuff, and then, you know, a few months later, they give those stuff away because that's not what they really need. And we found out that what they really need is companionship, which is a lot more inconvenient than just once a, a year going give out you know, our packs of rice and Milo. I just recently wrote uh, a comment in my discussion board for my school, and this is on corporate social responsibility, and you know, can Singapore do more? And I said, and oftentimes, corporate social responsibility is more for us, is to make ourselves feel good. It's for companies to use it as a hiring card. We are socially responsible. All right, it's really for us, but you know, are we really meeting the real felt needs of our community? I don't know. I don't know, but this is church to the city. And the last model that he proposed to us you know, is a church with the city. And I like that because the church sees mission to the community as a partnership. It incarnates itself in that community, discovers from that community that the burning issues, whether it's you know, a nation or you know, a small estate, regardless, you know what I'm trying to get at, right? The burning issues brings the ministry of the church out into the community and nurtures personal relationship with individuals in the community. What this looks like practically is that the church sees value in connecting with local leadership, whether it's uh, the, the CC or whether it's the Western Committee, whether it's you know, the NGO group, in 
they see value in in understanding the needs and then mold you know their their strategy around real felt needs this is how they conduct their heavenly mission and you know let's let's uh, pivot and let's look at how Jesus does it because when we look at Jesus' ministry, we see him, first of all, mingling. He was socializing, right? With sinners, with the crowds. He wasn't like the Pharisees, you know, walking a few steps ahead of you know, the, the crowd and having bodyguards around. He was in with the people that he loved. He was open. The children jumped on his lap. He, uh, he, he, he was in the marketplace uh, with those who were buying and selling he was even criticized for welcoming sinners and eating with them. He went to the house. He saw Zacchaeus on the tree and said, I'm coming to your home. He was going. When a crowd starts to form, he didn't start the church of the first Jesus. I mean, you know, he said, I'm living. I, uh, it's for this reason that, I'm, that I've come. And then he left the crowd. He went to where the people are. I mean, this was the Jesus I read about. I can't see him doing anything else. He was sociable. He was introverted, I believe, but sociable. And then, you know, his method includes empathizing. He empathized. He showed care. He really wanted to know their frustration, their pain. Uh, he wanted to understand the circumstance, their challenges. He wept with those who wept. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. He even tell jokes. He laughed at their jokes. I mean, that was the Jesus who walks amongst the people. He's truly God amongst us, God with us, God embodied in human form. And this empathy creates social attachment, which is why Jesus was the most attractive human ever to walk the face of the earth. And the only people he repelled were the religious folks. Do you know that? Everyone loved him. The sinners, though. The religious leaders hated him. The Pharisees hated him. But everyone else loved him. The fishermen loved him. You know, the tax collectors were drawn to him. Sinners were drawn to him. He was so attractive to sinners. Created social attachment. And, and then you know, he went on to encourage them. I'm trying to form the word seed. So you know, basically, he served them. All right? He ministered to their needs. All right? He solved their problems. And even high-level problems like, like you know, paying tax. Remember? Uh, should, should I? You know, I could, oh, no, to, to pay tax, go and fish. And in the fish, you will find a coin. Go and pay your tax. I mean, he was solving practical problems. So he encouraged and gave them courage to live life, even though it's hard, even though it's painful. Even, but he gave them courage to live another day. That's the Jesus that I read in the Gospels. And then, you know, he went on to disciple them. Come follow me. Come. And by this time, they cannot but follow him. All right? Crystallized, captured in what Peter said. Where, where else can we go? We've got the words of eternal life. They wanted to follow Jesus. We saw that, you know, to, and, but Jesus sought to discover their needs, first of all, right? So it's very funny. He saw blind Bartimaeus. Clearly, he was blind. And he asked Bartimaeus, what do you need? <laughs> he wanted Bartimaeus to say, I want to see. All right, he, he, the, the man at the pool of, of Bethsaida, right? Clearly, he was crippled. Clearly, he couldn't walk. What do you want? 
So Jesus wanted to know what the community needs. <laughs> Do you want to get well? Duh, of course. No, he wants them to say it. I want to get well. I need help. And then Jesus met their need. Jesus then met their need. So it's church with the community. And so let's look at this. Not in my notes, but I have, I, I've got two, I would say, diagrams. The next slide, please, right? So, you know, oftentimes we have been torn between social gospel, right? So, I mean, a lot of people are saying, if all we do is good works, then you're preaching the social gospel. People need to listen to Jesus. The gospel is really about Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again. We, yes, I completely agree, all right? So, but that's what a lot of us uh, growing up think. Social gospel can't save. It's just doing acts of love and, you know, for us, loving our cities, uh, like being seen as a social gospel. Discipleship is our Sunday services, our baptisms, number of conversions. And so we're always on this spectrum and we're moving back and forth and we are like being torn, right? It's like, okay, are we too social? Are we too spiritual? Are we too social? And we've got a dualistic mindset. But can I suggest to all of us, and, and I'm just trying to just frame my thoughts, right, that perhaps, you know, the model should be a holistic model, which is in the next slide where there's only one gospel and within that, that gospel is, is, is both social and spiritual. Within that gospel, you know, there is, uh, there is no either or. It's both and. We're not supposed to think dualistically. We are supposed to be Jesus in the world and Jesus did all that. He socialized, he sympathized, he served and solved and then, you know, of course, he brought salvation. And that's how he brought healing to society. He discipled nations and he changed the world. And that's what I want. You know, I've been thinking a lot recently, right, as you can tell. And you know, I've been saying, uh, how, what do I really want? Why am I always at loggerheads with, with, with sometimes church systems? You know, while a lot of churches, again, not yours, if you're listening to my message, not your church, but another church, all right, just want to grow people, grow numbers, more bumps on seats. Not your church, you know, maybe it's our church, not yours, all right? <laughs> what I want is, God, I want to change the world. This morning as I was praying, uh, you know, I, I, I know it's completely unspiritual, but Michael Jackson's song was in my head. And I, and I found myself worshipping to change the world, make it a better place. For you and for me and the entire human race. Because if we truly believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, and the only way we can change the world is to represent Him well, is to, is to go into the world but not be of it. And that requires risk. That requires you being misunderstood. That requires people saying to you, have you lost your calling? You're supposed to be Godhead, you know, why you step down and, you know, you live like a fisherman, you be a carpenter, you do this. That's exactly what the kenosis is. The crossover project isn't to influence the highest sphere of society. The crossover is Jesus crossing over to identify with the least, the lost and the dying, the last. I want to change the world. As you can see, that's my heart. I believe this church wants to change the world. I believe we are, we are, we are not playing the numbers game or we are, we are trying to, to fill more bumps on seats. 
And I pray that as the pastors go into this series on missional living, that we can really allow uh, you know, whatever is being shared to challenge us. And I want to, I want to make a distinction that this is not about us just being a witness, because we're all witnesses, right? In your workplace, as your, we are all, we are already incarnated or in the world. We are hands and feet where where we are. What I'm saying is, what about a whole church? Yesterday, I received a deck from a few members of our of our church. They are praying into how they can make a difference in a particular estate in Singapore. When I read that, I said, "Wow." inspiring. You know, how does it look like uh, when the church work, live and play amongst the community? What, what does it look like? You know, when, the, when you go to a kopitiam you know, and then the guy selling you coffee is a member of our, of our, of our church. And, and, and then you come on a Sunday, you see the pastor preaching, you know, and, and, uh, and he was walking around at the coffee shop talking, I don't know, how, how does it look like? It's like, I, I, I'm just imagining what does incarnational ministry look like for the 21st century church? You know, as I close, perhaps what inspired this word is some, some of you know, right, that you know, I'm as random as I am, I'm a searcher, not my planner. I'm just searching. God, what are you doing? in my life, all right, you've moved me from one thing to another. People may say, Daniel, you are just random and not focused. I think I'm very focused. This has not changed. I want to change the world. I want to, you know, those who were my youth ministry have heard me sing that song before, right? Heal the world, make it a better place. And we sang it in our service. Christine, do you remember? We sang it in our service and we said, heal the world. <laughs> and first thing, are you crazy? Yes, I want to change. The, I want to heal our society. I want to see a nation disciple. You know, and so, recent, so recently, the last two weeks, my wife and I have been working in a cheer store. Cheers. 7-Eleven Cheers, right? And, uh, <laughs> and I tell you, I've never felt more fulfilled in the last two weeks as compared to the last, I, I would say, 15 years. The last time I felt this way was when I was uh, working for a Christian music cafe. All right, where and it reminds me of that, you know, where the owners of the cafe was ministering to a person of another faith who walked, you know, he, his office was was at you know was at UOB around that area. He would every day walk uh, across Board Key and come to the cafe at Colombo Court next to the su- su- the su- Supreme Court and just have a cup of coffee. And Angie, our friend, you know, would be listening to his problems. And then one thing led to another, you know, towards the end, I got a chance to pray with him. You know, and we were playing music, we were serving food, and it was hard work, all right? And, and yet I was saying, wow, this is really what it means to live out the gospel. And uh, so the, the last two weeks, you know, I found myself doing very mundane job, like moving... Uh, sweets, right? Because they have, they have got this pentagram and you have to follow it accordingly. And all it did was to move from one column to the next column. And I spent an hour and a half doing that and I said, God, I'm wasting my time. And then the Holy Spirit said, uh, you can pray in tongues when you're doing that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I felt great, you know. And then I started thinking, right, that uh, the people that I work with, they are not, they are, they are hard-working people, which means that they come in and they start working very hard and didn't stop. 
and I know how much they earn, and I said something is wrong with, uh, with the system. These are hardworking people that are, that, that are earning a very low wage. And yet, and I'll, I'll be hearing their stories, and you know, they'll be trying to gossip, you know, and, I, 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 and I came alive. I was carrying boxes. Look at me. Right? I, I'm not strong. I was carrying boxes. The next day, my muscles were aching. And, but on our way home, I, I was sweaty, smelly, and I said to Joy, it's a good day's work. It's a good day's work. And it's not just the physical work, you know, but I got to be amongst people. Now, well, this last, as I said, is a journey. All right, so it could be novelty. I don't know. It could be. Like me, I'm always, I, I love novel things, right? But I'm just sharing with all of us my feeling, my experience after two weeks. And I think that's what Jesus did. He was the, he was the, the carpenter's son for 30 years. All he did was to make tables and sell tables. And so I want to close with you know, just what, what I gleaned from Bob Logan. You know, and uh, He's one of the early thinkers of like, you know, what, what, what is called the organic church movement. And uh, well, whether you agree or disagree, you know, what I thought was very interesting that he summarized uh, the ways of Jesus basically in how he did ministry in the Gospels to seven principles, right? So he saw, number one, he said, Jesus stayed connected with the Father. He woke up early, he went up the hills, he prayed, he asked God for his assignment for the day, right? As I see what my Father does, I did the same. So he was connected, he lived life with a purpose. You read the Gospel of Mark, he was always going from one place to another. He said immediately, Jesus went. So he lived life with a sense of purpose. He dwelled among the people. He moved into the neighborhood. He engaged authentically with others, he served the least of uh, these, and he called people to follow Jesus. Of course, come follow me, and then, and then he encouraged others to go and do the same. So, what does it look like for our church? I don't know. Uh, I'll leave it to the pastors to pray and <laughs> But what it could look like, you know, is to mobilize the entire church on a mission, to go beyond just doing small, small projects and perhaps, you know, to move into a neighborhood. Could be the CBD. Could be another neighborhood. But for us to be intricately connected with that neighborhood, for us to pour the salt out of the salt shaker, as I was just thinking about this salt, salt shaker thing, it's interesting, right, that there's light, but you can't separate the light from the environment because the light is already part of the environment. Right, you eat food that's salt, but you can't separate salt from the food that you eat. It's already part of the food. But the problem is, you know, sometimes we think that the world needs more salt than it than it than it really needs, and we put too much salt. It tastes terrible, right? And that sounds like some churches. Too much salt. Ah, distasteful. Why? We're trying to preserve. We're trying to you know stand up for what is right. Too much salt. But when it's properly flavored, wow, our lead pastor is a great chef. He knows what I'm talking about. It's proper, wow, yummy, right? Too bland, also not nice. Too much, also not nice. But when it's just nice, and I think that's God's mission through the church in the world. So how does it look like for us? Join us in praying. I know some of you are already doing it, but just pray and see what God is speaking to us. So will you take for you the incarnate life of Christ. 
this is part of what, what, what it, 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 it means to be like Jesus, you know, and to do his works in our city. So can I have the band on stage as we are close? And uh, I'll just say a prayer. And let me again remind us that, you know, this is my journey. I've been thinking a lot about, uh, perhaps because you know, of the last two weeks of just interacting with uh, people day in, day out, and knowing that, you know, sometimes all we can do is just to listen to their problem and to empathize, to encourage. But let's pray. Well, Father, we uh, thank you so much for the first incarnation that God became man and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus, we thank you for showing us who God is, how He's like, His love and compassion, His sense of righteous justice, his hatred for injustice in the world. Jesus, thank you for perfectly representing the Father. And you've called us to go and do likewise. You said that you are not asking the Father to take us out of the world, but to keep us in the world. Just keep, but just help us be holy. And we thank you, God, that you are sending us into our world. Lord, as we explore over the next few weeks what, what it means to be missional, what it means to be salt, to be light, to influence, to flavor, to preserve, to light up, to illuminate. Father, I pray that, Lord, our church, God, will just be bold enough, God, to step in to the mission you have called us to. Lord, free us from self-preservation. Free us from the fear of contamination. Help us remember that Christ in us is the hope of glory, that, you know, in the Old Testament, whatever, you know, when the unholy touches the holy, the holy becomes unholy. But in Jesus, when the holy touches the unholy, the unholy becomes holy. And Lord, that's our prayer, God, that Lord, as we interact with our colleagues, with our friends, with our neighbors, when the holy Christ in us touches the unholy, the unholy becomes holy. We honor you, we love you. Let's pray all this in Jesus' name. Everyone say, Amen.